This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Hello, and welcome back to the Org Health Advantage podcast. We're really excited to share this episode with you. Keith and I are joined by Pat Vitalik, the CEO of Home Chef. Home Chef has been on an incredible journey since Pat founded the company in 2013. And part of that journey included partnering with Keith to help align their executive team strategically and behaviorally. In this episode, Pat discusses some of that work, specifically his evolution as a leader, the need to fire himself from certain roles, what made Kroger the right partner to merge with, what went into making that merger so successful, and what traits they look for in all their employees. This episode is chock full of valuable information. So without further ado, here's Pat Vitalik. Pat, thank you for coming. And and Keith, thanks for joining. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. So Pat, I want to get right into it. Um, Can you Tell us, like, kind of in a bullet point format, like, what was going on at Home Chef when you reached out to Table Group? Like, give us some context, like, uh, you know, maybe employees, maybe revenue, and then a few bullets on, hey, I'm motivated to call somebody. Let's reach out to Table Group. Sure, sure. So, so I I started uh, Home Chef. Let's see, back in. Uh, 2013, and so the the first first year I bootstrapped the business. Um, you know, we were uh, growing quickly, even as a, a bootstrap company, and then uh, we raised a couple rounds of venture capital and 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 got the the formula down, so to speak, on on customer acquisition and retention, and really everything just just clicked, and we started growing even more rapidly. Um, and, uh, and and after raising our Series A, um, you know, this, this would have been in 2015, um, we grew the business from 10 million in revenue to 100 million in revenue the next year. So we we 10xed it in, in one year, um, and and that that then led to to our Series B, uh, where we raised uh, a 40 million dollar round with a, a firm called L Catterton. And and as I I came out of that financing, I was able to to spend more more time with the team and, and the company and you know thinking about what we're doing well and what kind of opportunity we have ahead and, and our challenges and really really uh, came to appreciate that you know we're no longer in one room as a startup in the early days we had one production facility our office was upstairs it had no windows <laughs> we would do a a stand up every morning with the entire team and it was really, really easy to stay aligned and to stay on the same page. Um, and, and around the time of our Series A, we, you know, added a production facility. We added an office downtown, you know, as our first kind of glimpse at having different pockets of our workforce in different locations. And I think started to appreciate as we were growing how difficult it is to keep everyone on the same page. Um, and, and following our Series B, uh, we were um, in the midst of expanding nationally, so opening up uh, a third production facility across the country. Um, you know, hiring a ton of people uh, following our Series B as well, and and you know, I started to see, you know, the misalignment, so to speak. You know, talking with uh, some folks um, in other parts of the company that might not necessarily be on our executive team, I could tell there were some disconnects um, and. Uh, and, and I even noticed, even on my exec team, you know, people that were, t- were together every single day together, um, you know, it, it still still felt like there were times that we were misaligned organizationally uh, and strategically. So I was having a, a conversation with one of our board members uh, following our Series B, and I, I mentioned, you know, some of those challenges to him, kind of team-related challenges. And and he said, "Well, I just I just did an awesome offsite with the table group. Have you you know thought about doing you know kind of uh, bringing in someone from the outside to to help you you know get those issues onto the table and and work through them as a team?" And 
so I, I took the introduction uh, with with Keith and met with Keith in our office you know, back in 2017 or 2018. I can't remember the the exact yeah, time. 2017. Yep. Um, and and so uh, we we clicked, and you know, I, I really enjoyed the conversation and and felt like it was worth a shot. I actually didn't know are we just going to do one offsite, and you know, that might be it. Maybe all my problems are are done after that. But of course, that's not the case. <laughs> the, the the challenges have changed as as the business has grown, and uh, since then we've been doing you know quarterly offsites and and regular one on ones with with Keith and. It's it's been ex- extremely valuable. So, but that's that's really what what led us down the path of of engaging with the table group. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing that context. I'm I'm curious before we dive into the maybe some of the disconnects that you saw. Um, what was it like founding this company, and then going from like all right, everything is centered around me to building up the team. To where things are centered around the team as opposed to you. Yeah, you know, it. it I definitely had an aha moment. Um, it was, you know, it's kind of the, the year of bootstrapping. I I felt like I wasn't bringing on enough talent, and as I raised a, a round of capital, I, I felt like I was doing too much. Right, I felt like I was stretched thin. Felt like I I was, I was still running payroll, uh, for example. You know things like that that I, sh- I shouldn't shouldn't have been doing. Um, but but after raising my first round of capital, I finally had the ability to attract you know what I call kind of a higher caliber of talent and people that uh, team that that uh, that we could we could not only get our heads together and and kind of think through you know strategically what the right direction is to go, but also uh, a team that was willing to roll up their sleeves and, and execute and um, and so. You know, at some point I had that aha moment, like I, I need to fire myself from these jobs I have and, and get better people around me um, to, to help take the company to the next level. Um, and, and, and I, I, you know, that happened after our, our uh, seed round of capital. And, you know, as, as we continued to add, you know, uh, higher and higher caliber talent over the years, uh, it's, it's given me so much more leverage and ability to to be the strategic leader that the CEO should be and not be the person that is make micromanaging or doing everything or making all of the decisions for the company. And you know, I, I really saw, you know, it could, could have been timing as well, but as that talent was added, our, our growth accelerated, um, our margin got better. The business was, it was just performing better. Uh, and, and I saw that, yeah, I really thought of it as adding oil to the fire over the years and and, and still very much see it that way. That's great. James, I would love to just explore that because, Pat, as, you were, as you're articulating that, I was just thinking for every one founder like you, we meet probably three or four founders who are unwilling to give up that control, who don't want to step away from being the center of the universe of the company. Um did, did somebody point that out to you? Did, was that self-discovery? Like, what is it about you that made that possible? And what advice would you give another founder out there who's maybe right now struggling with that dynamic of, I don't want to give up this kind of control? It, you know, it was, it was probably in my kind of seed and series A round of conversations. Okay. Round, I, I didn't have the team page to point to, right? And that was, that was a, like a known goal of following this seed round, we need to build out the team. We need, you know, a head of marketing, a head of operations, a head of technology, and 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 so forth. And so the that was very much a goal coming out of my seed round of financing, and definitely got that advice. Right? Is is be the you don't want to be the smartest person in the room as the CEO, right? You want you want to be surrounded by the smartest people, um, and and I, I think it's a combination of of feedback and, and advice over the years, but it, it really felt like something that needed to happen to take the company to the next level. It felt like if we wanted to, at which there's nothing wrong with this, if we wanted to stay smaller and um, you know, for Home Chef to operate as more of a lifestyle business and not invest so much in, let's say, our growth, um, you know, it could have been a route to, to go and, 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 and something to consider, but. Um, that that wasn't my goal at the beginning. My I, I felt like we had a really big opportunity 
Um, and so it felt like a you know necessary part of the equation uh, at, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Pat, I want to ask you a question because um, that's a little bit of a cliche, not a judgment there, but a little bit like you don't want to be the smartest person in the room, which is a great idea until you start interviewing and you see, you know, like for a CFO or maybe a chief marketing officer, they're like, oh, this person's smarter than I am. And that like that takes a vulnerability to hire people who are just smarter than you in each of these functions. Was that ever a challenge? You're like, boy, this person's going to challenge my intellect right here. Yeah, and you know, it it's something that I value for sure. You know, and I don't know if I'm a unique individual or not, but I'm I, I like to think I'm a humble leader, um, and you know, I, I like to think I have a ton to learn from the people I work with, or for the people that from the people that are on our on our team and in general, and so. Yeah, it, it, it was, I guess, tough, like that concept of, you know, firing yourself um, from from everything you're doing is, you know, maybe kind of a, a tough pill to swallow. But once you see the benefits of it and, and how much it brings to the team and to the business, it's totally worth it. <laughs> and, and it is the way to go. Um, but but yeah, I, you know, I, I'd, I'd say I, I also value that in the executives and and the folks that work you know directly for me i want them to be hiring people that are smarter than them as well and it's just you know this constant pursuit and, and I, I admit it is it is a cliche but but it's a cliche worth living by uh for sure for sure and and my uh, i think it's just harder to actually put in practice I, like i can't imagine like sitting there as a ceo and a founder and they're going like Oh, this person's going to be smarter than me at this, and then this person's going to be smarter than me, and the vulnerability it takes to actually hire those people. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I uh, I came out of um, the investment banking world, so I worked in finance before, and you know, I think finance and you know, kind of professional investment banking services world tends to attract a lot of you know highly motivated, smart people, and I kind of came, I saw how effective really good teamwork is with very high caliber people coming out of that world and was looking to surround myself with people that are even smarter than that. Right. And, and as, as a good example, the, the first um, uh, head of marketing I hired, he aced his SATs, right? I mean, he was, he's a very, very smart guy. And, and, uh, and, and that was something that, that I really valued. And it wasn't the marketing experience that he brought to the table because it was basically zero marketing experience. It was, it was more so that, that he was a very smart person, highly motivated, um, could figure out how to, how to carry forward and, and get creative and be resourceful and you know, all those things that are, are important for a startup. Yeah, really cool. Thank you for that. Now, clearly you hire really smart people it doesn't mean they're always going to get along well. They're going to be disconnects, as you call them. And that's where you come in as a leader, probably more than just on the intellectual side. It's on the like, hey, this is how I want the team to operate. Can you talk about some of the disconnects that you saw? And, you know, maybe specific about the disconnects, but less specific about the people, of course. Yeah. But what, you know, for a leader out there who's like, boy, something just isn't jiving with my team, what did you see and they could look out for? So we were getting, and I, I feel like I hear this from companies all the time, um, but we were getting very siloed in nature, right? So our functions were operating in vacuums. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for example, the, uh, and, and our business has a, a physical component to it. So we're not, um, let's say, a, just a, not just, but a software business, right? Where Everyone is kind of in the same office and, right. and coming with the same context, generally speaking. Not to say that you can't have silos within a software business because you certainly can as well. But um, but we have uh, you know physical plants. Um, now we've got hundreds of people at plants across the, the country, and, uh, and and so it's easy to get siloed when you're not together. Um, you know our our operations team, for example. Uh, was coming with a different perspective than our tech team or our marketing team because they have a whole other set of challenges and and constraints that they have to work around and realities that that they have to face and 
that that's what I was seeing with our team. Um, we had what I would call a you know full executive team. So we had all of the uh, the functions had an executive leader. Um, and and as I was building out that exec team, I was finding it more challenging to break down those silos um, and and get everyone on the same page. And and that's what I saw uh, was really just kind of unnecessary misalignment, um, lack of context uh, was is probably the the biggest call out. And you know we didn't have you know what I'd call kind of a, a kind of overarching framework to unite those silos. And, and that's what really led us to, to the table group then ultimately. But, but that's what I was seeing was just, uh, you know, people coming with different, different information would have made different decisions for the same problem uh, based on, on that different context. And that's, that's what was, was obvious to me and, and kind of got me to a point where I said, we need some outside help to get this, even though I, you know, might've been considering one of my important, responsibilities as the CEO to be camp counselor, I, uh, I, I felt like we, we had to bring in, you know, some, some organized uh, help and advice to, to take us to the next level. It's interesting. As I was listening to you, Pat, I was thinking that so often in life, the solution to one challenge creates the next challenge. And I, maybe I'm getting some fresh insight from you on this one is, you know, you, you, you surround yourself with really smart people and then left to themselves, they're they're out there just trying to solve problems, but they're doing it in a way that's not exactly united with each other or aligned. Yes. And you, know, you got to bring a simple framework to them to say, okay, but let's be clear. Here are the things that I'm really passionate about, or or you know, here's where our strategy needs to be really clear. And now and now to get those people actually aligned around the same principles. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I think you know, left to their own devices, individuals, smart individuals are going to come up with their own framework if, if right. not, not kind of given one or not aligned on, on one as well. And that's, it's a, a great point for sure. That's awesome. So during, you know, during this run, um, you folks are acquired by Kroger. And um, now what did you do to prime the pump for somebody like Kroger to want to come in and, and buy you folks? So there was there was a lot um, happening in our industry uh, at the time. So uh, the first meal kit provider uh, was going public at the time. So that's Blue Apron was doing their IPO, and there was a lot of talk uh, in the press about their upcoming IPO and a lot of anticipation um, around uh, around their IPO. And so you know we were starting to get. Uh, inbounds and and questions from you know bigger strategic companies, grocers, you know, for example, just wondering what we're up to um, and and kind of curious about the industry. You know, realizing that that Blue Apron was was about to go public, and so um, so so with that, we actually ended up getting a couple of a couple of offers from uh, a couple of different strategic companies. Uh, and, and we evaluated those the summer after uh, Blue Apron went public. I, I think it was the summer of 2017, if I'm remembering correctly, um, and, and ultimately decided not to partner uh, with with either of those companies. And um, you know, we were we kind of wanted to wait till the dust settled, so to speak, on on Blue Apron's IPO and not get too not get too far ahead of ourselves. And uh, and, and so anyway, uh, I just I made the decision to get to know the industry even better, right? So we had some inbounds and had some conversations going and I realized I hadn't talked to everyone. Um, and, and one of those, uh, one of those uh, characters was, was Kroger. And uh, so I figured out a way to get introduced to uh, somebody at Kroger. And um, it, it really was uh, kind of wondering what the business opportunity could be working with a grocer. We had, uh, a couple of partnerships that we were working on with with other retailers. Um, one of them was a, a East Coast grocer that we were doing uh, a click and collect um, meal kit program with. Another was a big online retailer that we were making our uh, meal kits available uh, online to, to their customers. And so, you know, we were kind of pursuing this partnership strategy. You know, at, we wanted to add a few more partners like that and see, because we were... Uh, always been a predominantly direct to consumer business. And so we're acquiring customers directly online or uh, through the television. Um, 
And, uh, and, and so, so anyway, um, uh, started conversations with, with others where we could potentially sell our meal kits and had a you know, 30 minute phone call with, uh, with, with someone at Kroger. And at the end of that phone call, uh, this person said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in doing something more strategic than just selling, uh, your meal kits in, in our stores? And, and I said, yeah, you know, to be honest, we've, we've kind of been through this dance over the last several months and we're not, we're not out there looking right now, but, but, you know, I'm all ears. If you guys want to, if you, if you'd like to explore what that would look like, you know, but let's kind of first, let's make the business case, right. And let's see how, how we could work together at, at a high level. And so got to know Kroger, um, uh, in, in the following months, um, so that would have been, you know, kind of the fall of 2017. Uh, they came in town, um, had an awesome meeting with, uh, with, with a lot of their team. I was surprised at how many folks uh, came up to Chicago and was kind of wondering, you know, if this is, is, this is, you know, probably more serious than just the business partnership we were initially talking about. Um, and, and then again, got to, got to know, you know, Kroger over the following months and, um, and you know, it, it took a lot of relationship building for sure. I, I came from the investment banking world and uh, have seen mergers go poorly. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the, the bad side of, of M&A. Um, and you know, part of the reason why we walked from, from those couple of offers the summer before is something didn't feel quite right about, about, about the offers. And, um, and, and so trust was just such an important piece of uh, of the decision for us. And, and we'll probably get into some of this here, here in a moment, but, um, you know, just looking across the table and, and knowing that we could trust the leaders and the partners on, on the other side was step number one. Um, and, and step number two was, you know, kind of making sense of it all. Right. And, 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 you know, starting to put the wheels in motion starting to think about, you know, what am I going to tell our team? Right. So that everyone's got, you know, everyone's heard the, the uh, the horror stories of of M and A um, and and no one wants to live through that and um, and you know as we were getting to know Kroger it was very obvious that um, you know one of the reasons they were interested in us was was our team so it was going to be just critical for me to to communicate it in a way that um, keeps the team excited keeps everyone optimistic about about the future that that we have and. Um, and, and luckily, you know, uh, maybe I shouldn't say luckily cause it took a lot of work, but, uh, we're about three years into the merger now. Um, I'm obviously still here, so I'm, I'm having a good time, but, but our, our team has also, uh, just, just, you know, done an awesome job delivering results for Kroger. And I think we've, we've followed through on, on, you know, kind of our, our promise of the talent and the team that, that we're bringing to the table. So I'll, I'll stop there cause I could, I could probably keep rambling on about it. Well, yeah, um, that's awesome. I, I'd love to hear, you know, Keith and I have a client who's going through this process right now, like deciding, you know, hey, we're, we're going to sell. Um, so what was important, like just like bullet point, what were the things that you looked for and said like, yeah, this checks the box, this checks the box, this checks the box. You said trust earlier in, in the team. Yeah, in the and that- team. That that would probably be my biggest box to check, um, and you know, I, I think the the second thing um, I'd call out is just being aligned on what the vision is um, for for the partnership. That was a very important part of getting to know Kroger on both sides. Was making sure that the vis- the vision of the partnership is what we both believe in, um, and and getting that buy in early and. I think involving as much as your team as possible in that um, is is hugely important. I was I was able to bring in my executive team to the conversation before we announced it to the world, and so you know our executive team was coming up the curve with Kroger as I was in aligning on on that that you know kind of partnership vision together. And so um, you know I think kind of making the sausage together as much as possible, and that being felt like you're you're you know being directed as an executive team member to deliver on this vision that you had nothing to do with, um, you know, is, is, is a, a big part of, of making the partnership successful. Um, you know, we, we had uh, the benefit of, um, 
of creating an agreement that had, you know, performance milestones and very clear kind of definitions of success. You know, that kind of speaks to having a, a vision around the partnership to an extent, but, you know, knowing what makes the partnership successful as well. I think, you know, our, our team, myself included, um, we like having a goal, right? We like having, you know, something to work toward and kind of knowing whether or not um, we're, we're doing well. And, and so, you know, I think aligning on what success looks like uh, as well is a really important part of a, of a merger. Um, I think that the individuals that, you know, not just, you know, kind of trust from an organizational standpoint, but kind of understanding where your business might fit into whoever's acquiring you, um, you know, knowing which business units you're going to be working with most, getting to know them if possible. I, I think that was not only did, did I have the benefit of pulling in uh, my exec team as we were getting to know Kroger, um, but, but Kroger did a really nice job of bringing in uh, key people on their end that we were going to work with after the merger was announced as well. Um, you know, we, we did things like even, you know, to the, we had uh, an integration, you know, kind of checklist before we even signed the deal and just kind of, you know, had a really good idea of like, what does integration mean to you? Um, Cause that, that, that word uh, is a strong word um, and can mean a whole lot of different things. Um, but, but just, you know, getting, getting on the same page with things like that, I, I think just gets ahead of, of, you know, potential conflict down the road. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the other, but one of those, you know, kind of integration points, so to speak, uh, speak to uh, the autonomy of Home Chef and what is their intention uh, of their use with our brand? What, what is their vision for our team? Um, you know, how does Home Chef fit into Kroger as a whole from a team and talent perspective? Um, and, and for me, it was important to have that, uh, that autonomy that allows us to perform and hit the goals that, that we both agree are, are metrics of success. Um, and, and they've absolutely uh, d- delivered on, on that promise of autonomy as well. And so I, can, I could probably keep, keep, keep going, but, uh, but those are the, the big ones that stick out to me as I'm thinking through it. Yeah, that's a great checklist. Thank you. I mean, the the integration uh, checklist for before you even sign the contract is really cool, and, and um, getting to know their business units and who is leading those and how you could work together with them well that, that seems really intentional and things that we never would have probably thought of. That's cool. Wait, let me. Ask, I I would love to hear Pat just to comment a bit. Um, on, on your strategy, you know, from the very first conversation we had, you were able to clearly differentiate your strategy from others in your space. Um, and I'm thinking too of what it would feel like to build a brand, build a strategy, have that success, walk into Kroger, you know, probably the, I think they're what the largest grocer. Yep. Um, and it's like, you've done something that they were not able to do yet. And I'm just curious, like, how, how did you think about your strategy? How was it clear to you? How did you maintain that? Just comment a little bit on your strategic focus throughout throughout this season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot has changed even from, uh, you know, the, the day after close. Our business has evolved a lot. Um, one, one of the things that uh, one of the executives at Kroger uh, said to me early on uh, in in our conversations, we we were walking out of uh, one of our production facilities. We had just gotten done uh, with a tour, uh, giving this executive a tour of our facility, and uh, and he he walked out and we're talking, and um, you know we're you know kind of recognizing Home Chef is very much a meal kit business today. You know that was that was what we did then. Um, and you know, he's like, I think Home Chef's a lot bigger than that. And I said, I, I do too. I think you know, there's a lot of stuff that 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 we could do outside of meal kits. And we had started um, experimenting with with some of that already, but but in no way nowhere near the the scale that that we're doing it today. But um, you know, one of the things he said is, I want to give you guys the keys to our meal solutions business. Um, and that sounded huge to me. I started you know started thinking of just how big of an umbrella that that could be. And that was one of the, obviously one of the big topics of conversation as we were putting our heads together, uh, you know, strategically. And, and, and so, so that being said, you know, there's 
so much you can do in the world of food. Um, it's, it's really easy to get, you know, too, off track, right. And, and too far afield from your core. And, and so, you know, one of the things that, uh, was important for us, uh, at, uh, and for Kroger as well was, um, you know, keeping the, the things that have made us successful to get to the point that we were at then and maintaining those things into the future. And you're thinking about what are, what are we good at today that got us to this point? Um, you know, one, one of those uh, really important things is our uh, culinary engine. So we've got a highly data-driven uh, culinary process that uh, we do research and development on to, to find the best recipes. And so, so it wasn't just about you know, going out and creating product products out of thin air. It was about, you know, taking the home chef approach and using that in other categories. So, you know, ready to heat meals are, is one big category we're working on today. Uh, we're working on uh, Kroger's entire rotisserie chicken program today as well. And, and so things like that, that are, you know, part of this meal solutions umbrella, um, we've approached with the home chef like, you know, cul- you know, culinary slash data driven uh, approach, and and so it was important for us to not, you know, kind of veer too far away from what we were good at, but apply you know that approach to other parts of of Kroger, other parts of the food world, um, and so so we're not, you know, I, I would say our our competencies are pretty similar, right, at, at the core, at the base, but but we're doing a lot of different things now. So we've got you know kits and ready to heat meals and rotisserie chickens and, and a lot of other products, soup and, and other deli like items uh, in over 2000 stores now. Um, so we have a whole, whole line of products that uh, are, are reaching millions of, of consumers um, physically in stores. And in addition to, to continuing to grow uh, our online business as well. And so, you know, we want to have one culinary engine. We don't want to have 15 culinary engines. And so, you know, it's figuring out how to kind of make all of those things work in tandem, leveraging some of the the R and D and the innovation that innovation work we do online into our stores and and vice versa. Um, but that that's probably what I would, if I could boil it down to one thing, it was you know kind of maintaining our approach and then applying that to you know kind of other opportunity areas. Yeah, yeah, we 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 do so much work at Table Group, and Pat, you've done such a good job with us on what we call clarity. And often that third question, like, what do we do? Seems like a throwaway question, but we'll make the point. Like, yeah, if you change that sentence, you absolutely can do it. But it's a big business decision to do it. And that's something that Home Chef did is when it went from meal kits to meal solutions. And it's like, whoa, that's a very, you know, that's that's a single word that we've switched. But but what the implications on the business were huge. And yet you did it in such a way that you never let go of the core strategy that made you successful in the one area. So, you know, just like you've done such a phenomenal job of, of keeping your team focused and aligned on, on really simple concepts, even though at scale, that's a massive undertaking, but at the core, it's pretty simple. Yeah. I appreciate that. Cool. So I'm curious what went better than expected once you were acquired from Kroger and then what, were you surprised that it didn't go as well? So, you know, I think, I think one is um, having come from the investment banking world, I, I really wanted to end up with a good partner. And I, you know, I, I guess I'm not surprised we did, but I just, I know how hard that can be. Um, and, and so that's one thing I'm just really thankful for as I, you know, look, look past, um, look in the past and, and, you know, any advice I, I would give for, for anyone is just to be so cautious around, who you're partnering with because um, it's not just impacting you. It's going to impact your entire team, your reputation, your, your legacy. Right. And, and so, um, so that, that was one thing that, you know, I can't say I'm surprised about, but, but it's something I'd call out. I think that the, the other thing um, that I call out is uh, it's just how important it is to get ahead of the communication to your team Um and it was something that that I worked really closely with with Keith on as well, and and we even had you know offsite uh, topics dedicated to figuring out how to message this to our team in a way that uh, that is motivational, exciting, and and ultimately 
you know, with retention being the goal, like how do we keep our team around? Um, how do we keep them, you know, in, as engaged and or even more engaged and excited than, than they were before the merger? Um, and we had to be very proactive on that. You know, we, it wasn't a sit back and see how the team reacts type of thing. We, we had our script ready to go. We, you know, we all we uh, worked um, with with each of our teams and each of our you know, kind of other layers of leadership to make sure that um, that everyone understands why we're doing this. You know, what the benefits of merging are. Um, how great of a partner Kroger is, what the opportunity is under Kroger's umbrella. Um, and and that I'm very, again, very thankful that, that we took the time to have those conversations. I think it's all too easy for a company just to, you know, send out an email or, or do something like that. But we had a, a town hall on the day of the announcement. Um, so I got in front of my team in person. We tried to pack into the biggest room that, that we had. And, um, and, and so I, I think that's, you know, just really important that, you know, as you're announcing it, that, that the CEO is the face of, of the messaging. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, that was, that was one thing that, you know, I, I would say I didn't appreciate when I was, you know, coming from the investment banking world, I was, you know, never on, uh, never working within the company. I was, I would never see kind of what happens after, the merger get done, uh, mergers over beyond, you know, a headline um, or, you know, seeing that the merger is going well or it's not. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's, that's one thing that, um, that I would definitely advise other companies is to take the time to have the conversations. Yeah. It's going to take multiple conversations as well. It's not just one. Um, and you probably have to say it seven times or, or however the, the saying goes before it, it actually sticks. And, and I, I would say, Additionally, it's it's not just an announcement. It's it's a journey. You know, we're three years into this, and I still find my I need to remind myself to point out all of the success we've had with Kroger, all the the great things that that have happened uh, under the partnership. Um, because you know, I, I don't want our team to ever you know lose sight of why they're here, why they're at Home Chef, and um, and, and to, to always be be excited about what's next. So. We, I remember. I remember specifically the idea of like it, it feels like such a finish line to get to that trans, transaction, and that you realize like okay, we need to explain you know like wh- why is right now the best time to be at Home Chef? Yeah, like you know, in in what sense are you on the ground floor of something amazing? And that was you know some just really important messaging that you were able to really embrace and throw out there. Absolutely. And, and not just on retention, also new hires, right? Like how, yeah. how does the story change now that we're a subsidiary versus, you know, a startup that has, you know, equity and, and some future event and, uh, you know, some potential future event. Um, and, and so that you know, we, we had to really think through that. It, was, it became you know, critical for us, not just on a retention, uh, not just on the retention front, but but also the, the recruiting front front. I loved, uh, Pat, that you said, like, it wasn't just one communication. We had to say it over and over and over. Uh, that was for sure going to be a follow-up that I had. But then it probably is also, like, l- as you do it, it becomes less about announcements. And I would imagine, like, some smaller group settings to be able to answer questions. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and just making sure that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't even need to be so obvious. Right. And it just kind of weaving it into your regular communications and yeah. making sure that you're touching on it regularly. Um, and, and you know, I, I can remember, I think Keith, I think you, you mentioned this and, and gave me this feedback is like that it's too easy to get to a negative narrative with a message like this. Um, and, and if you leave the, you know, let the team kind of come up with that narrative on their own, it's probably going to be negative. <laughs> and, yeah. and unless, unless you're there to, you know, kind of reinforce the benefits, the, the positive side of a, a partnership like this. Yeah. yeah they, we, we sometimes call that constellations. You know, it's like people see the data points and they fill in the gaps and they always turn it into a big, scary bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is going to be something good. I promise. Well, it sounds like to me, you know, we we talk about at the table group, those four disciplines to running a really healthy organization. And a lot of times we spend, well, we spend most of our time in the cohesive team, which is, you know, discipline one and creating clarity, which is discipline two. 
But during this, you probably really understood the value of disciplines three and four, which was over communicating that clarity and reinforcing it in your human systems. I mean, you've talked about reinforcing it, but over communicating it, but also the reinforcement and how you're hiring people and what that story is during that process. And it seems like you really doubled down in those, those last disciplines of over communication and reinforcement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it comes back to just recognizing how critical talent and the team is to, to the partnership. Yeah. Um, and that, that is, you know, something I haven't lost sight of and not just to a partnership, but to a business, right. And to any, any business out there. Yeah. That's really and cool. You surprised me one time when I asked you kind of mid midstream, how things were going. And I remember it, cause your answers totally shocked me. You said probably the, the most significant thing that's been helpful to us in this process. And I was waiting for, you know, this massive insight. It was like, it was our daily check-ins. It's like 10 yeah. minutes every morning, checking in as a team. And I was like, really? That meant, he's like, yep. Yeah. It just kept information real time. It kept stories from emerging. And then, you know, just the way you were able as a team to really stay on top of things throughout a very long season of transition. These were months and months. It wasn't just a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's, so, it's a, a good call out. And, you know, kind of back to the, you know, why did we seek table group um, in the first place? It, you know, it, it was easy to do those quick check-ins or those daily stand-ups when you're all in the same place. Um, and then as the business grew, we started, you know, teams were doing separate check, check-ins. We weren't doing things together uh, as, as much. And um, that, that to me has been one of the biggest benefits, the meeting cadence in general, I'll say, but, but the daily check-ins, the daily, the daily huddle um, has just been so valuable again, to, to kind of get ahead of, you know, any, that's one, one good reason to get ahead of, uh, you know, any, any negative narratives that can come up in between touch points. Yeah, oh, that's cool. So Pat, you know, I, I think about your time since, since starting uh, Home Chef, and you've had such a breadth of experience now, like, you know, you founded a company, you've grown a company, uh, you've been acquired by a big strategic company. Um, and now we've gone through a global pandemic. <laughs> you know, what, as you look back through those eight years, what do you think you really codified in yourself as like some leadership principles? You would say, like, boy, I never want to steer away from these. There's a, a couple ways I think about it. I think one is, you know, kind of as an organization, um, you know, how does, how does Home Chef, how does the team, how do individuals at Home Chef succeed? And what are the behaviors that they exhibit um, that are in common with our, you know, best players, right? The, the best folks on our team. And, uh, you know, I think some of them might, might come, um, you know, from, from me, so to speak, from the early days of how I ran the team. And, and others, I think, have formed, you know, organically as our, our team has grown as well. Um, but the, the one that, that I would call out, I, I actually, I think I mentioned it earlier as well, but... Um, one that that's really important to us is to be a humble team player. So the, the people that do the best at home chef tend to be quite humble in their approach and, and not obnoxious and not a know-it-all. And, uh, and they're curious about uh, the other person's perspective and getting to the right answer. Um, but, but being a humble team player uh, is just so, so critical uh, for succeeding at home chef. Um, another, uh, another core behavior of our team is uh, that we take ownership, uh, and you know this is I, I, I think a, a, a bit of a reflection of kind of our bootstrap days of um, don't expect someone else to do it. Do it, you know, get it done yourself. If and if someone else uh, can help you, of course, be the humble team player and, and partner with them on it. But but um, but our, our team is is really good at uh, at taking ownership of of something, getting to the bottom of the the problem, and. Uh, not uh, not leaving room for question as to who's going to go and either fix it or, or solve it. Um, and you know, I think our our team all you know takes some pride, right? Not just some, but a ton of pride in our work and and what we do. And uh, you know, recognizing that uh, that uh, there's a customer and you know a family at at the end of the day that are going to open up that box and. You know, we want to delight them and want to give them the experience that that we promise on our website or, or in our stores, and, and and so I think take taking ownership is is one that 
is also just critical uh, for for someone at Home Chef uh, to succeed. Um, and then the the last one, the the third core behavior uh, that that uh, we talk about a ton at, at Home Chef, we look for in uh, new employees as well as being a pragmatic next level thinker. Um, and uh, it's a bit of a mouthful of a, a phrase, but but it, it it means a lot to us and. Um, what, what, it, what it means is uh, that you can be pragmatic in your approach to, let's say, get the problem solved, you know, be resourceful, do what you need to do to, um, to, to move on, right? And, um, but, but also do it in a way that you're thinking about the long-term impact, right? You can't throw a Band-Aid on everything because then, you know, we might have a way bigger problem that we're going to have to deal with in several months or several years from now. And so we're always looking for folks that are good at balancing those things, you know, getting to the bottom of a problem quickly, being pragmatic about it, um, but not doing it in a way that, you know, sacrifices something long-term as well. Um, but, but those are the, the really the three core behaviors that, that we look for when, when we're hiring and as we're doing our, our performance reviews as well, the, the way that you know, we kind of uh, size up performance, so to speak, is thinking about those uh, core behaviors. One of the things I've loved about those core behaviors, as you've described them, is hearing you tell stories of how how they are equally relevant in the early days of Home Chef, when it was literally people from the corporate office running down to help pack meal kits, to fill a big order and get them in the back of a U-Haul truck, to you know fast forward five years in you know dealing with incredibly complex digital marketing or, you know, solving some new operational challenge that's come as a result of scale. It's like, it's, it's the same behaviors, same people doing the same types of things, just different problems. Yeah. It really stood the test of time for you. And it it has. And I, you know, I think um, as, as much as possible, I think, you know, leading by example is so important to that. I mean, you mentioned packing boxes, you know, a group of myself and, Corporate employees were volunteering for a shift last Friday, and we're, we were at the facility helping out with portioning and um, and and you know, thinking about we, we're never um, we're, we're never uh, too far along that we can't roll up our sleeves ourselves, right? And and again, being that the humble humble leader, right? And and being someone that is willing to you know get in the weeds with with your team. I want all of our leaders to be. Uh, thinking that way as 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 they're spending time at, at home shop for sure. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. And that goes right into you know over communication and reinforcement as well of of what's important of you for you folks. Um, Pat, this has been so great. I I want to ask you two last questions, and they're fairly similar. But one, do you have a favorite leadership quote? that you just like resonate with and think about a lot and, and maybe pass on to people? And two, do you have a favorite leadership book that, you know, maybe you've read a couple of times or you've referred people to? Yeah. So the, the, um, the book that, that really sticks out to me, and there's quite a few quotes in this book that, that I could, I could probably point to um, that, uh, that I, I would, I would say have had a, a, a big influence on kind of the way I, I think about things. Um, but, uh, I was on our, I was married about 10 years ago. Um, and we were on our honeymoon and a book had just come out. It's you know not, this isn't going to be your, your typical kind of business leadership book, but, but I, I found a lot of, a, a lot of good stories in it. And, um, but it's it's called Unbroken. I'm not sure if either of you have had that. It's about Louis Samparini, who is a Olympic runner who enlisted in World War II, and it's it is a very much a story of uh, perseverance and and survival. Um, and and you know, what to 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 jump ahead? You know, I, I, I obviously you know starting a company. Um, is nowhere near as challenging or dangerous as as what. Uh, uh, he went through, um, but, but I think it really puts it into perspective of, um, you know, how much perseverance can carry you forward, um, how important it is to, you know, be calm and collected and have an even keel and think about the long game, even if there's some short-term pain to, to think about the, the long-term gain and, um, and how worth it, it, it could be getting through those tough times, um, 
And so, so that's one book that, that really sticks out to me. Uh, I, I love those kind of survival books in general. Um, there's a, a few others that, that I really like that, um, that have similar stories, but, but the unbroken story is one that, uh, that really puts it all into perspective for me, for sure. That's cool. Yeah, you, you're not the first person to recommend that book to me, so I've got to go out and get it now. And I, have a, I have a few friends from USC, and, and so he's a... Of course, yeah. Yeah, he's a USC guy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, awesome. Thank you so much for this. Keith, is there anything you'd like to ask him or, or end with? No, I just, I just, I just love to brag on Pat because, you know, there's, there's two things that we look for in every, every leader that we work with. And the first is humility, which we've talked a lot about. Uh, but the second trait, which it goes along with the first, but, but not every leader has it, is, is just openness. You know, just open to hearing new ideas, reflecting on them, putting them into practice, not accepting all of them, but just open to listening. And, and, and Pat has always struck me as being so open and, and then just courageous. Maybe you got that from the Unbroken book or maybe you always had it. But just, you know, it's like, hey, some of the things that we have to do are hard to do. And they just, you know, they're straightforward, but they're just hard. And Pat's, Pat's just been willing along the, the road just to make some really tough calls at times for the sake of the business. And so, yeah, that openness and that courage uh, are just two standout features that I just want to brag on Pat a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Those kind words for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for joining us. I really appreciate it. I think this is going to be super helpful for leaders in so many different ways and uh, very insightful. Thanks for your time and, and we wish you continued success. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.